Let me know if this sounds like you. You're a teacher who's at their wits end, burned out, or maybe you're just stressed to the max. You want to get on the road to burnout recovery, but you don't know what to do, how to get there, or if it's even possible. I hear you and I want to help, but we didn't get into burnout on the same path. So why should recovery be any different? That's why I wanted to share with you a brand new free resource that I have on my website. It's called the Personalized Roadmap to Teacher Burnout Recovery. In this quick, less than five minute quiz, you'll answer questions that will help identify your needs, your strengths, and your weaknesses. Once you've completed it, you will have access to the personalized roadmap to burnout recovery that's going to give you your next best steps to take on your recovery journey, packed with resources and support along the way. Head over to teachingmindbodyandsoul.com slash quiz or head over to the link in the show notes. I cannot wait to see your action steps along the way. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to episode 11 of the Resilient Teacher Podcast. If you're a teacher looking for some teacher time hacks so you can better prioritize yourself, your family, the things that matter in your job, you're definitely going to want to listen to this full episode. It's probably the longest episode I've had to date, but I literally could not edit any of it out because every piece of information in this interview with Jen Manley is absolute gold. So let's jump right in. Hey there, and welcome to the Resilient Teacher Podcast, the podcast giving overwhelmed and burned out teachers inspiration, sustainable strategies, and reigniting passion for teaching. I'm Brittany, a special education teacher and teacher resilience and retention strategist, and I am on a mission to inspire educators to prioritize their mental health and individualize their self-care routines so that they can live a balanced, fulfilling life as an educator while making a bigger impact in their classrooms and communities. Each week, I'll be sharing tips, strategies, mindset shifts, and discussing hot topics in teacher resilience with other knowledgeable experts so that you can ditch the overwhelm, prevent burnout, and create the life you've been dreaming about. So let's get started, and let me remind you that you too are a resilient teacher. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our reviewers of the week, Kathy Mary, who gave the podcast five stars. She says, thank you so much for sharing all of this information. I'm a relatively new teacher. I'm not to the point of burnout, but a lot of my colleagues are, and I've watched a lot of good teachers leave the profession the last two school years. I know that people need to do what's best for them, but I'm hoping that I won't get to that point. Teaching can be exhausting, but I'm trying to do everything I can to prevent burnout. I do agree that when you are going through tough times, it can be a blessing because it can show you what you're lacking and give you time to change things. One thing that helped me was adding different subjects to the curriculum to make it fun for the kids and me. Thank you again for your podcast, and I'll be listening to learn all of the strategies to prevent teacher burnout. Kathy and I got to chat on Instagram recently, and I loved her insight. We got to chat about student engagement, and she even participated in the summer self-care conference back in July that I hosted. Even though she's not to the point of burnout, I am so proud of her for noticing how many educators are reaching that point and being proactive in her attempts to avoid burnout. Prevention is such a great tool to utilize to retain a job doing what you love. So if you're here and not a burned out teacher, you are showing your resilience by keeping up with this podcast and tuning in. And I love getting reviews from the listeners of this podcast because not only does it help with the algorithm on podcast players to reach those teachers, 
but it helps get the message to more teachers who need these tools, these mindset shifts, the motivation, the validation, the pick-me-up to continue their journey. So if you're listening along, I want you to know, I read every message, every review, and I love connecting with you guys. Seriously, if you're vibing with a particular episode and you screenshot it and tag me, it gives me that feedback like, hey, this is needed. And I take that into consideration so I can keep bringing you guys what you need to make it through the season of teaching. Plus, I want to be that supporter. I want you to feel like you've got me as your teacher bestie that you can come to and I can help you through this, which is why I've also added these bonus episodes for Fridays this month with a little back to school pep talks where I'm bringing you your morning motivation or your afternoon pick me up and chatting with you about how I'm applying these same ideals because I'm still in the trenches with you. I am not some magical unicorn who isn't having to prevent burnout. I've been there before. I'm also going through challenges, and I want to be able to share that with you guys so you can see how I'm navigating it and give you the pep talk you might need for your days. So let me know what you think about those bonus pep talk episodes as well. I'm so excited because in today's episode, we are chatting with Jen Manley, who is one of my favorite teacher follows on TikTok. If you haven't met Jen before, she is at Strategic Classroom on TikTok and Instagram, and she has some really great and informative videos about product activities in the classroom, and just using your time effectively as an educator. Jen is passionate about helping teachers maximize their planning time to make time for what's most important. Jen is a former high school and middle school computer science teacher, a skilled facilitator, and has presented to thousands of educators at the local, state, and national levels, including at ISTE, CSTA, Project Lead the Way Summit, and I-T-E-E-A. She is a certified Agile Leader K-12 through trainer, the Agile Educator Guide co-author, and a 2018 I-T-E-E-A Teacher Excellence Awardee. She received a 2021 National CS Teaching Excellence Honorable Mention and has served as a curriculum writer for Code.org's APCSA curriculum. Welcome to the Resilient Teacher Podcast, Jen. I'm so excited to have you here. For those listeners who haven't followed you along on TikTok, don't know about you, can you tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got into doing this work? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Jen Manley. I have been a teacher for the last eight years, um, and I have taught sixth through 12th grade and now teach college students. And I am just really passionate about helping educators maximize their planning time so that they can stay in the profession. I think that there are a lot of great teachers who um, unfortunately get to the point where they're burnt out. And it's not that they don't love teaching. It's not that they don't love students. It's that at some point, if you've been giving and giving and giving, um, you hit this point of burnout. And so my goal with with working with teachers and with all of the work that I do is is to help teachers stay in the profession that they love for longer. I love that because we are on the same page with that. Like that's the way I am. That's why I show up. That's why I bring what I bring to TikTok, to the podcast, to social media. And I actually met Jen through TikTok. I was scrolling along and I started following her after I realized how aligned we were with supporting teachers, with only working their contract hours. She has like this whole thing about only working your contract hours. So can you share a little bit about your teacher journey? Like what led you to supporting the educators on social media? 
Yeah. So I actually was not a career teacher. I'm, I, I am now. Um, but when I first graduated from college, I had one of the coolest jobs ever. And I worked for my national sorority as a consultant. And so I got to travel the country and I met different women um, around the country every week. I changed where I was every week. And I always tell people that that job spoiled me because I was challenged and fulfilled every day. And so when I got back after that job was a one-year contract, I ended up working in a bunch of different, um, I guess you would call them careers, but it really wasn't. I was sampling and I couldn't find that thing that made me feel the same way that that first job did, that made me feel challenged and fulfilled every day. And I got to this point where I was um, a medical credentialer. I was doing data entry every day. Um, and it was a company that people really loved to work for, but I was in my car every day at lunch crying because I was so miserable. Um, and it pushed me to go seek out a career coach and figure out what I wanted to do. And that eventually led me to teaching. Um, and I feel so grateful that I kind of hit that breaking point because teaching is my calling. Like teaching is something that, um, and it's so funny because when I decided to become a teacher, my parents were like, we've always seen you as a teacher. And, um, and I guess I just had never seen that for myself, but, um, that's how I found my way into teaching. I ended up getting hired mid year. So I subbed first, I got hired mid year, um, as a tech ed teacher. So I taught woodshop for the first, um, half year that I taught. And then I ended up moving into computer science. And since then I've taught um, six through 12 computer science and college level computer science. And then I also um, support teachers. So it's been, it's been kind of wild. Um, but you know, something that I've learned is that when you're doing something that you love and that you're really passionate about, um, you know, you're willing to put in the extra energy and effort um, to, to, to become good at it. And, and that's where I've kind of gotten to, but yeah, to get to social media, I guess was the next part. Um, I, I just wanted to be able to impact teachers outside of just my own classroom and outside of, you know, where I ended up speaking. And, um, it was so funny because with TikTok, I was like, Oh, I don't dance. So I'm not going to get on this app. Same, same. (laughs) (laughs) And you're just like, I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to do that. And, um, and so the funny thing was the with TikTok, I, I ended up going, I guess I would say like semi-viral. It got like 500,000 views on a stitch that I recorded. It is so funny because the video, like I have like baby spit up on my shirt. I'm like at the end of the day, it's 10 <laughs> o'clock at night and um, ended up getting followed by a bunch of teachers. And it was like, wow, wait a minute. Maybe I don't have to dance on this app. Maybe I can just share what I've done, what works for me. Um, and yeah, so now here we are. Um, and it's been really awesome. Yeah, you know, one of the things that got me following you, like on social media, was just feeling like this girl gets it. When you start talking about everyone tells teachers to only work their contract hours, but no one tells them how. And I know so many teachers are headed back into the building after summer break, and some of those teachers are already there. So like, what's the most important thing you believe teachers should do in order to only work their contract hours this school year? Yeah. Um, well, I think I think it's more than one thing. But the first thing that I would do is actually map out your schedule. Like, Get on Google Calendar or if you're a paper and pen person, you know, get your your planner out and map out what time 
you cannot be working, right? Like the times you are teaching or the times that you're in meetings um, and get that on a calendar, get it on Google Calendar so you can see how much time you actually have to get your job done. I think sometimes with teaching, it feels all the time with teaching, it feels like we don't have any time. And that's because by design, our schedules are are broken. The time that we have to work is broken up into like 15 to 30 minute chunks, which is really not conducive to doing the kind of creative work that teachers need to do a lot of the time. Um, but in terms of actual time you have, I think seeing it on a schedule is very empowering because you see these 15 minute chunks, you see these 30 minute chunks, you see, okay, maybe I can't work only my contract hours, but I could work my contract hours plus two one hour extra blocks a week, right? So seeing it on a calendar, I would say is the first thing that teachers should do. And then the next thing I think teachers should do is really make a list of everything you have to do. What do you have to do on a weekly basis? Figure out how much time you think that takes you and plan out when you're going to do it in your schedule. Um, You know, taking control of your time can be really empowering because again, like it feels like we don't have any time but it's just that that time is not necessarily structured in a way that makes us feel like we we have all of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you talked about scheduling it out because I was thinking about how people only say work your contract hours. But, you know, sometimes I saw this TikTok recently where this lady was talking about how this person was so excited about going back into the building and working. Uh, who was it? I can't remember who it was. It might have been you. It might but be, yeah. I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, not every teacher wants to only work their contract hours. They have those things that they really enjoy and that they really value. And I talked a little bit about this in one of my recent episodes, how you can't always just say work only your contract hours, you know, especially if that's something that you enjoy then you want to be able to do that. But that scheduling part is a huge piece of why I think educators get overwhelmed with that because they think, well, I don't even know how to schedule that. And I know my day every day and maybe I'll have planning time, but then sometimes it gets taken away because I have to sub or I have to do this or I have Mm -hmm. to do that. And I've heard class sizes this year are huge, like huge, huge, huge. But One of the things that I really want you to talk about with that is about task switching, because I know you talk about that with educators. So can you tell the listeners like a little bit about what that is and what that looks like? Sure. So task switching is what your brain is actually doing when you think you're multitasking. So we have been led to believe, humans believe that we can do multiple things at once, but our brain cannot do that. Our brains can only handle one thing at a time. And so when we talk about task switching, what we're talking about is you are trying to do two different things and because we feel overwhelmed. We feel overwhelmed and we're like, okay, I have eight things to do, so I'm just going to pick two things. I'm going to switch between them and then I'll get them both done. But your brain loses time having to readjust to what you're doing. So I'm working on lesson planning and I'm working on grading. Those actually use two different parts of my brain. One is creative. One is more like rote. I mean... Some some grading is a little bit more creative, but for the most part, grading, you're following a rubric or you're following, um, you know, you're grading a multiple choice test, whatever, right? And so your brain has to take time to transition between tasks 
every time you switch tasks. So it's better for your productivity for you to focus on one task at a time until it's complete and then move on to the next one rather than switching between the two. They've done studies on this and they find that adding one task, so just switching between two tasks, can decrease your productivity as much as 20%. And that's with each additional task you add. So every time we're adding something and we're trying to just switch between the two, we're losing a lot of that productivity time. And I always want to clarify, like when I talk about productivity, I'm talking about productivity, not out of like girl boss hustle culture, right? Like I'm talking about productivity because if we're working 45 hours instead of 60 hours, that's 15 more hours that you could be spending with your family or on a hobby or on a side project that you're really passionate about. And so thinking about streamlining our work as teachers and thinking about like how to become more productive It's not so that we can do more necessarily in our jobs. It's so we can be efficient so that we have all of that extra time to do whatever we want, right? And for some people, and I I love that you brought up this point of like, some people really like like going into their classroom and decorating. That's awesome, but that's not necessary to be a great teacher. And so recognizing that some of these things that we're doing because we really enjoy them, which is totally valid and teachers, if they like doing those things, I really liked decorating my classroom when I taught middle school. I was I was able to do it, right? Like I, I had a classroom that they let me do stuff to. But that's not actually necessary to be a good teacher. It's more of, you know, work that you're doing because you like it, because it's a hobby or because it's, you know, um, a side passion project. And, and so recognizing that, you know, then we can separate it and say, okay, yeah, I'm spending 15 hours a week decorating my room or making my worksheets pretty, but I'm doing that because I like it, not because it's actually part of the 40 hours or 45 hours a week that are necessary to do my job. Right? And I love what you said about teacher productivity, that you bring all of this information because we want teachers to have more time to do the things that teachers enjoy, and they don't have to do those things to be an effective teacher. That's one of those teacher lies that I always believed, like that it was something I had to do. So what I did was I switched from kindergarten to special ed. And in kindergarten, I felt like I had to go all out. I had to decorate. I had to make it fun and inviting and all these things, which is important, but it's not necessarily the decorations, which can be time consuming, that make me a good teacher and make it inviting. And when I moved into my building as a special educator, I told everybody that the reason why I wasn't decorating my classroom was because it was overwhelming and could be distracting, which is actually proven with like multiple studies. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the real reason was that as a teacher, I have all these tasks as a special education teacher. Those are more important parts of my job. And I don't have to do all those things. So I like that you brought that up too. and. Just so you know, I send my friends your videos on TikTok, but recently I had a friend who was telling me, I have to check my emails all the time. Like I have to do it five, six, seven, eight times a day because you never know what's going to happen. So what about task switching when it comes to teachers who have to check their emails multiple times a day? Yeah. Um, email is a major time suck. It is a major, it's exactly what you're saying. It's because of it's it's a task switch, right? Like going in and checking your email, you are taking yourself away from whatever you're currently working on and you're instead going in 
to check email and see what other people have asked you to do. So um, this was something when I was doing... So side note, I'm a certified Scrum Master. And when I was in Scrum Master training, which is a project management approach, um, one of the things that was said in this training that has been a game changer for me is the gentleman who was leading the training said, email is somebody else setting your priorities for you. Holy crap. And I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. Because you can go into the day and you have this to-do list of things that you know are important that need to get done. And then you get an email and just because it's at the top of your inbox, it feels urgent and it isn't always urgent. And so um, I would suggest if you can, that you only check your email two times a day or one time a day. Um, I have found in in eight and a half years of education now that there are very few things in our in our profession that are truly urgent that are coming through an email that can't wait 12 hours to be answered, right? Or 48 hours to be answered, whatever, whatever your window is for your job. So number one, I think really thinking about whether your feeling of needing to check email all the time is conditioned or is actually true for your job. Because I think for a lot of people, the expectation is not that they're checking email all day, every day. Now, there are teachers that are in that position where their their school, if they have you know something urgent, they're communicating it via email and they're not letting teachers know, hey, an email has been sent about this, right? They're just expecting teachers to check in. If you're in that position, I would actually suggest having your phone and maybe like between classes or when you have a break, right? You're walking your students to specials. You pull up your phone and check your email, like just refresh your email on your phone to see if there's an urgent email. Because again, we're trying to avoid getting sucked into our inbox because it's very easy to get sucked into the inbox and to continue to, you know, churn through emails. And we're really trying to avoid getting into the email and seeing something and feeling like I have to do this right away when really the thing that we've been asked to do is not actually urgent. So I think that would be my suggestion is that if you really do have to check your email multiple times a day, that's an expectation. I would try checking it on the phone because it's much more difficult to do more than just check it quickly on the phone. Um, And then if you don't have to, don't do it. Do it once or twice a day. Yeah. I think a lot of teachers just put these expectations on themselves. Like they think that they have to check their email multiple times a day. And it's like, they don't know you don't have to do that because nobody said that you had to check your email multiple times a day. You could just check it once before school starts in the morning and then once in the afternoon at the end of the day and anything else well, that's really urgent. Like for my district personally, we have something called Navigate, which will send like different urgent reminders. Like if we're in a lockdown or a fire drill or something like that, those come to my phone directly and it comes from whoever it's supposed to come from. Yeah. And I think like on that same note, I think there's a lot of things as teachers that we feel like we have to do this, right? Like we have to check our email all the time. We can't say no to things. We have to, um, you know, take on all these extra duties. And um, I, I, th- I think we have to push back on that feeling because, because there's a lot of things that, well, first of all, we're in a major teacher shortage. So um, you're, you got to do what you need to do to survive, to, to stay in the profession and to do what's best for kids. So number one, you know, 
if these things are detrimental to your mental health or your ability to do your job, like you have to push back on them, number one. Number two, you know, I think something that took me a while to learn is that not doing everything is actually what's best for kids, right? Like allowing myself to not get burnt out, um, setting up some boundaries, asking if I really need to do something, if I'm being asked to do eight different things and I can't do them all, asking for help from the principal to prioritize what is most important. Like those are those are boundaries that are going to make it so that I can best serve my students. And that should be the guiding principle for everybody, right? Everybody in education is the principle should be what is best for kids. And I think that educators, we need to realize that looking out for us is best for kids long-term. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more on that because there are studies that prove like if you're burned out, it's actually contagious to other people in your building. Other people in your building, your coworkers, your students can also become burned out and it ripples down and then they get burned out as well. And when I read one of those studies, I was like, what in the world? You can have residual burnout and give it to your children? You know, like that's not good. But it's also, it kind of affects the quality of education. It affects how fulfilled, how engaged we are with our students. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it really is important that we do start pushing back. And I'm not this type of person. But I feel like I have pretty good boundaries in place. Like I've always been really good with boundaries, but I know a lot of teachers are people pleasers and they get sucked into overcommitting. And I'm not saying that I've never been overcommitted. I'm just saying lots of teachers get in sucked into that. And I've heard you talk about this 24-hour rule. So can you talk about what that is, what it looks like? I think it's super powerful for teachers, especially in those circumstances. Yeah. Um, the 24-hour rule was born because I needed it because I am a people pleaser, um, recovering people pleaser. But I, uh, especially in the first three years of my career, was somebody who said yes to everything that was asked of me because I thought it was what was best for kids. Um, and so the 24-hour rule is is a boundary that you're setting for yourself um, to where you're not going to say yes to something immediately. So essentially, if somebody asks you to do something, could be a principal, could be um, a parent, could be you know your department chair if you're in secondary. Um, for me, sometimes it's like being asked to speak at conferences or on podcasts or all of these different things. Um, but the rule is that uh, I don't say yes or no for 24 hours. And 24 hours might be different for different people, but um, but essentially it's giving yourself a waiting period. So if somebody asks you to do something, let's say your principal asks you to take on yearbook, which is something that happened to me. The principal found me in the hall and asked me to take on yearbook, which is a massive undertaking. Um, and at the time I said yes, immediately. Um, which was a, a bad decision um, for me. It was a bad decision. Um, but instead of saying yes, you're going to say, thank you so much for thinking of me. It means a lot that you see me in this position of leadership or you see me um, being successful in this way. Um, you know, I want to make sure that anytime I take on something new that I'm going to be able to give 100% to 
this new commitment because the kids deserve somebody who is able to give them 100%. And so in order for me to be able to feel really good about saying yes, um, could I have until tomorrow to let you know so I can really look at my, my commitments, I can talk with my family, and I can make a decision that's best for kids. I love it. And I actually used it this past year. And I just recorded episode 10, where I kind of am opening up with how I'm handling things in real time. I'm calling them pep talks. But basically, I talked about how I have really great boundaries in place, how I actually use the 24-hour rule, but I didn't really consider it in terms of commitment for the next school year. So I just didn't think about it that way. Mm -hmm. But Sometimes you need different boundaries for different seasons, and we have to really put our mental health at the forefront. But I really love the 24-hour rule because it really does allow you to take inventory of how you feel about whatever commitment it really is. And last year, I was asked to coach the cheerleading squad, so I took my 24 hours. I was like, okay, sounds great. I've got this. But... I didn't really think about how I've got five kids now (laughs) and we just got married and my husband gets a promotion and I'm like, oh crap. But I want to say that I really do think that the 24 hour rule is amazing. And I love that you talk about that. Yeah. Well, and I think what you brought out too is this idea of like, you were in this emotional place, right? Like when we're asked to do something, especially if it's something that you know, it's is like either a position of leadership or something that sounds really fun to us, right? Like, so the yearbook example for me, when I was in middle and high school, I was on yearbook staff and newspaper staff. It was something I was really passionate about. I really enjoyed it. I felt like it was transformational for me in terms of like my development throughout middle and high school. And so there was an emotional attachment to advising yearbook for me um, that taking that time would have allowed me to get out of my emotional brain and into my logical brain and to think through the impacts of that decision, right? It's not just, wow, like I can make a difference for somebody, uh, you know, who wants to take, who, who this is going to be yearbook and um, for them and they'll have the same transformational experience that I had, right? And had I, had I used this, the, the conversation that would have went on in my head would have instead been about, do I, your book takes a lot of time. It is a huge commitment. I'm sure with, with the trilling squad, right? Same thing. It is a huge commitment. And if you can't a hundred percent commit to the kids, like for yearbook, right? Like then you're letting them down and they deserve somebody who can make, can be in that experience with them 100% and, and has the time, energy, and capacity to make it the transformational experience that that it was for me as, as a kid, right? So I think that like that's, that's really what we're getting at is, of course, we feel emotional. Of course, we feel excited about these opportunities and about like helping kids. Like that's why we became teachers. We love working with students and being impactful for students. But it's not just about that. And if you're overcommitted or you say yes to something that's like not a hell yes for you, you actually could do harm to kids, which is not ever anybody's intention. Right? And that had me thinking about how I would be overcommitting and what are the repercussions of that. And I always have the saying, um, I know you have, well, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. But for me, I have this saying that's like, well, if I say no to this, 
what can I say yes to? And that helps me kind of reframe it in my mind where it's like, okay, if I say no to cheerleading, I'm saying yes to spending time with my family. I'm saying yes to the things that I value. And I think that's really important to help kind of reframe that idea as well as if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Um, But like, what about for like practicing our time management at school? Do you have any specific tips that you would recommend for teachers who are like struggling with not enough time during their contract hours, like creating prep time or batching that sort of thing? Yeah. So I think, again, like, first of all, getting clear on what in your job is necessary to be effective at your job and what is bonus extra. So an example I love to talk about is making worksheets or, um, I hate the word worksheet, but making resources for your classroom, right? Things that you're going to use with kids. You don't actually have to make them beautiful for them to be effective, right? They don't need to have lots of fun fonts. They don't need to have cute clip art. Like they just need to have the content that makes it effective for kids. And you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, and in some cases, going over the top can be a distraction for some kids, right? So so number one, getting clear on what what is actually necessary for you to be an effective teacher um, and what is bonus, what is bonus and fun. Okay. Number two um, is getting very clear on your to-do list and what the most important work is. I say this all the time, but it is so true. I have been teaching for eight and a half years now. I have never, ever left and a day of school and been like, everything is done. There is nothing more I could do. Um, teaching is, there. there is always more you can do. Um, there, there are always tasks that you can add to your plate. It's a very iterative and creative job. So you're always thinking of new ideas and ways that you can become better, especially if you're a good teacher, you're somebody who cares about your work. You're always always your brain is just turning with like new ideas and things that you could you can improve. Um, and so knowing that we're never going to be done with our to-do list, getting never, 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 it will never be done. Um, getting hyper clear on the most important things can make you feel good about leaving on time. Because if I go into the day and I say, these are the three most important things or five most important things um, people in business like to talk about like the three things that you need to do. I think teachers, sometimes it's more like five or seven, but still, right? Like getting hyper clear on like, these are the most important things that I need to do um, and making sure those are done first makes it so that we feel good about leaving on time. So number two is getting hyper clear on the most important work and feeling good about leaving when the most important work is done. Because we know that we're never going to be finished with our to-do list. There's always going to be more that can can be done. Um, the next thing you can think about is creating prep time. So an example of this would be, you know, I am going to have my students do the materials prep. We're going to do a STEM activity. And instead of me using time to count out, let's say they're doing this like marshmallow tower build, right? And each kid needs, or each group needs 20 pieces of spaghetti, a marshmallow, you know, a piece of tape, it's a, it's a great activity. If you need, if you need one, go look it up. It's so good. Marshmallow Tower. Um, but it would take you an hour to prep all those materials, but it would take the kids five minutes to go up and count out their pieces of spaghetti. So I think like sometimes with teaching, we're like, we have to be totally prepped and we have to have everything ready. You don't necessarily. You can have 
the kids participate in in helping you with that because especially materials prep materials prep is a major time suck it takes so much time and shifting some of that to the kids takes way less time for them promotes ownership and it frees up time for you to do your higher value tasks so like that's the other part right is that materials prep is not a high value task lesson planning high value task copying not a high value task right something that needs to get done but in terms of using your expertise copying materials prep um you know going up and checking your mailbox in the middle of the day that we don't really think about but takes 10 minutes to go there and 10 minutes to go back right shifting that and doing that that at the end of the day would take less time um so like making sure that you're using your time for high value tasks and thinking about how you can repurpose how you're doing the lower value tasks. Um, and then, you know, also thinking about like during the day, are there times where students are fine on their own and I could get a few things done, right? So maybe you're having them watch a, a five minute YouTube video in the middle of a lesson. That's five minutes that you could spend checking off a couple of, of quizzes, right? Like thinking really strategically about where you have some time pockets of time for you to do some of the work that's not as cognitively demanding, right? I'm not saying leave your students to fend for themselves, but there are definitely times where kids are fine. They're working independently um, where you can find those pockets of time to work. And then the last thing um, is something called batching. So batching is where you are grouping together and doing like tasks at the same time um, or in the same stretch, not same time, not multitasking. But it's that sort of next level of avoiding task switching. So, for example, I do all of my grading at one time. I sit down and I grade in one stretch because my brain is not having to shift as much, right? I'm doing all of the grading and then it's done and then I can move on, right? Doing all of the creative work at one point in time, right? Finding time for lesson planning where you have. 45 minutes plus to sit and do that work. Um, so batching your tasks so that you're not switching between types of tasks. Um, okay, so I got to be a little transparent here. I was aware of what batching was, but until I started this podcast, I didn't realize I didn't really know how to batch. So I thought that each episode I had to create an idea. I had to create the outline. Then I create the episode, record it, and edit. But then I realized yep. we want to put all of the no. same types of things together. And so if I'm wanting to record a lot of episodes all in one day, then I want to put a creation at the same time. Then I want to record all of them at the same time. And then I want to edit them all at the same time. So I'm using that part of my brain. And I just love how you talk about ta task switching and how that can really impact your batching and all of that. And so one of the things that I hear most from the teachers that I work with, mm -hmm. and I talk about self-care, you know that, but when I talk about self-care, they tell me, well, I just don't really have time for that. And I have a lot of different mindset tools that I teach teachers to get them in the right mindset, like how to reframe. We want to determine what we can eliminate, delegate, simplify, you know, energy drainers. Do you have any recommendations or tips for teachers to find time for themselves? 
Yeah, I I think one of the best things that I started doing for myself because I I am not good at this. I am not good and and it's something that I've had to relearn. Um I had a baby last summer and it's something that I've had to relearn as I've become a mother that you know because and I'm sure anybody who's listening his parent can relate to this like you love your children but it's really easy to lose yourself and to and to then feel this like frustration when you know fortunately I've gotten to the point where I'm like really good at recognizing this where like oh like I am feeling frustrated or upset because I haven't had any alone time in the last three days right so one of the things that I started doing um, as a teacher when I found myself working really late staying late all the time you know becoming um, tied to my job, I guess, um, for lack of a better way to say it, was I started scheduling appointments for myself at the end of the day. And um, my go-to was I did, at the time, I lived really close to an Orange Theory. I did Orange Theory. And um, one of the things that Orange Theory does is if you cancel the class within eight hours of the class happening, they charge you money. So, so which was which was frustrating, but it was really good for me for a self care boundary because what I would do is I would sign myself up for the four thirty class, and that meant that I could not stay at school past four o'clock because if I stayed past four o'clock, I wasn't going to make the class. They were going to charge me money, and I wasn't going to get to work out. So um, it might be the gym for you, or it could also be you know I think sometimes we're like oh, but I don't actually have an appointment. Your self-care is an appointment, right? Like it's an important thing. Scheduling that time for yourself, like even if it's just going and getting yourself coffee or I'm going to leave so I can go sit on my porch and read a book or go for a walk with my dog. Um, that I think is a really good tool, especially for teachers who are finding themselves not able to leave work, right? Who are finding themselves staying. And I was like this, staying until six o'clock at night, multiple days a week, um, you know, scheduling something. That, that makes you leave, right? That that's, that's a reason for you to get out and go do something for yourself. So I think definitely scheduling time for yourself. The other thing that I would say here is like, I, I struggled for a little bit because everybody on social media talks about the morning and how they, they like to wake up early and do all their stuff in the morning and have their morning routine. And let me tell you, if I don't get enough sleep, I am a disaster. And so for me, if if I'm choosing between a morning routine, even if it's something I'm really excited about and getting enough sleep, if for some reason I didn't go to bed early enough or my son kept me up or whatever, like I am always going to choose sleep and I don't feel shame around that anymore at all. Um, and so I think also recognizing that like self-care does not look the same for everybody um, and your self-care does not need to look like you know, an hour long morning routine or um, a seven step skincare process, or it's it's figuring out what is going to make you feel good and and that you can commit to, right? That you can be consistent with. Like I was never going to be consistent with a morning routine. I'm way more likely to be consistent with journaling at night or reading at night or making time for the gym. Like each of us is different, and finding what works best for you, I think, is really important. 
Yeah, I could never do that morning thing. That's just not my jam. I mean, this was the first summer that I've had that I can sleep in in the last eight years. Like I know that because I have an eight-year-old and then I have a five-year-old and now we have my husband's three kids and we've got five kids and I love that they can do things by themselves, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can sleep in and it's just really nice, but I can also agree with the... I do things better at night. When the kids have gone to sleep, I have that time that it's just me by myself. I'm able to do the things that I like to do, like my journaling, my meditation, my yoga. And I really like how you mentioned scheduling in those things at the end of your day so that you like have to leave. That's never been something that I had to do, but that's a great idea because I think I'm that's really going to help during those really busy seasons for me to incorporate. I also love that you said that self-care is individual because that is one of the things that I focus on on my platforms because self-care is such a unique thing for each individual person. And recently, I've been talking a lot about work-life balance. And I talked about it on the podcast. I talked about it on social media. What's the number one thing that you could recommend teachers cut out from their to-do list to foster more work-life balance? I think it's going to depend. I, I, you know, we're just talking about things that are individual for different different people. Um, I, I would encourage anybody who's listening and any teacher to take ten minutes, uninterrupted, maybe play some nice music if you want, and to think through the work that you're doing um, in your job and and figure out what what work you don't like doing, right? That you you dread is not the right word, but like, again, going back to that like worksheet example, right? I don't really love picking fonts. I I just, it's not fun for me, um, right? So so coming up with a list of those things that you have to do in your job um, that you don't really enjoy doing, and then taking a highlighter to it and highlight anything that's on that list that is required for you to do your job. Meaning, okay, I don't love filling out paperwork, you know, the the paperwork that my principal is asking me to f- fill out. I don't really love doing that. I have to do that. It is a very important part of my job, right? I don't really love grading, but I have to grade because it's a very important part of my job. But there are other things that are on that list that you don't have to do. So highlight the things that you have to do and anything that is not highlighted, get rid of it and and get rid of the guilt around feeling like you have to do it because you don't have to do it, right? Like teaching Teaching is an art, and all of us bring different strengths to to the profession. All of us have different things that we love doing. We have different reasons that we are students' favorite teachers or teachers they love or impactful teachers in their lives. And I think it's very freeing to see all of the things that are on that list that you're just doing because you feel like you have to. But not only would it free up time for you to not do it, but it's also going to make your job more enjoyable because you don't like doing them. And you're just doing them because you feel like you have to, and actually you don't have to. So I would say, I think that teachers should take a moment to think about the things that they are doing that they don't like, that they don't actually have to do, and stop doing those things. Yeah, that is so aligned to my free 10-minute work-life balance audit. We do a little something a little bit similar to that, which I'll link it in the show notes, but we look at 
all the tasks that we do as educators using a free workbook as a tool to get it all down and then seeing what the energy drainers are, what the energizers are, and seeing which ones we can simplify, automate, delegate, eliminate, all of that from our teacher tasks. But I like how you mentioned the part about only keeping those things that you have to do because you don't have to do everything. And I know you have all of these amazing tips on social media, but like, where did you learn about productivity? Uh, Like, are there books or courses that you recommend that you can give us the deets on? I mean, I want to add those to the the show notes as well. Yeah. Okay. So um, my like, I've always enjoyed doing lots of different things. Um, And so some of it is just from me having to figure out how do I do all of these things that I want to do um, and find the time to do them. Um, Some different books that I have read. Okay. Um, Brian Tracy has a book called Eat That Frog. It's a sales book, but it has some really good advice in it. So obviously we are not in sales, but that one is really good. Um, I love everything by Daniel Pink. Um, I would really, I would highly recommend the book When by Daniel Pink. Like I said, Daniel Pink is one of my favorite authors. He does a lot of books around like science of motivation, which I think is so important for teachers. But When is all about um, the science of timing. So um, that one was a game changer for me because it talks about like when during the day is the best time for you to do different types of tasks. Okay, so there are times during the day where most people, so each person is different, um, but the majority of people in different age groups fall into certain um, what are called chronotypes. And it's people fall into different chronotypes and have different times where you are maximally productive for different types of tasks. So again, if you're getting into batching, that's a really good book to read because where you put certain tasks, um, you know, might change. Uh, Flow is another book um, that is really good. It's all about like, again, um, we talked about this with with teachers and creative work that our schedules are not really built for creative work um, because we don't have long stretches of time to work. Um, and flow is all about the science of like getting into flow, getting into this place where you're able to tap into your creativity and be productive creatively. So that's another one I would suggest. Um, and then the other thing that that changed the game for me, again, I mentioned this earlier, but I um, got certified as a scrum master, which is a project management certification. I got certified in it because I use it to manage projects in my class. It's a project management structure that's borrowed from industry. Um, but it was really um, instrumental in me shifting how I thought about the work I was doing. So this whole idea of doing agile is all about doing the most important work first, um, and delivering, right? Like one of the things that we talk about in project management and in scrum and in agile, um, is that if you aren't delivering a product, right, a company wants to deliver a product because if it hasn't been delivered, if it isn't on shelves, nobody can use it or buy it. Um, And so Agile is really cool because it's all about like the focus on getting something to done um, and doing the most important work first. 
Okay, so now I've got flow and win on my reading book list, but I'm going to link those down in the show notes too for anyone who wants to go and read those because they all sound like really good ones. I've heard about chronotypes, but not super savvy on it. My friend Rainy is super keen on it, but um, I'm definitely going to have to read those. So lastly, before we kind of close out, can you tell the listeners where they can find you, any other ways to connect with you, things that you can offer or can be on the lookout for in the future? Yeah. So I am really active on TikTok um, and on Instagram. On both of those, I am at Strategic Classroom. Um, I have a link in both of those bios that has all of the different stuff that I have going on. I'm actually working on a couple of um, workshops right now. So I'm really excited for that um, to be able to offer those in the coming months to help teachers, you know, take 90 minutes or two hours to themselves to dig in and and get their schedule ready, right? Like be able to maximize their planning time and maximize their work time so that we all have time to do the things that we love. So yeah, I would suggest finding me on um, TikTok or Instagram. And then you can also email me. My email is jenmanleyedu at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm just so glad to have you on here. And I know that everybody who goes and follows you is just going to have their eyes open to so many things that you talk about, especially with only working your contract hours and being more productive and having more time for yourself, things like that. But I'm just so thankful that you decided to come onto the podcast, chat with me today. You're seriously one of my favorite teacher follows. Oh, thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you. So make sure you head over to the show notes, grab all the information about where to find Jen, her recommendations, all of that. I know this was a longer episode. There was just so many good tips. I couldn't leave anything out. Just a reminder, though, that this Friday, there will be another bonus back to school pep talk episode coming. So make sure you're following along with the podcast. And don't forget, no matter what, you are a resilient teacher. I'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. To keep this conversation going, connect with me on Instagram at Teaching Mind, Body, and Soul or TikTok at Miss Princess Teach. I am always looking for an excuse to remind you that you are a resilient teacher. If you're looking for more support in creating a sustainable, individualized self-care plan to beat burnout, squash stress, and build educator resilience, check out my online membership and course, the Individualized Educare Program at teachingmindbodyandsoul.com slash individualized educare program. I'll see you next time. Before you go, head over to teachingmindbodyandsoul.com slash podcast to check out any links, freebies, and resources discussed in this episode so that you can start recovering from or preventing burnout and reigniting your passion for teaching. If you liked this episode and it helped you or made you think in any way, I know it will be for other educators too. So subscribe and leave a review so more educators can find this community as well. Did you know that you can have an incredible impact on the teachers in your life? That's right. All you have to do is share what you learned today. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to and tag me and post it in your stories. What do you say that we start creating a trail for more teachers around us so that we can start to make the change in the system of education, how teachers are seen and respected, and for ourselves? I look forward to connecting with you more on Instagram at Teaching Mind, Body, and Soul or TikTok at Miss Princess Teach. I am always looking for an excuse to chat more about burnout, resilience, and teacher support. I'll see you in the next episode.